welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. I fell asleep the other night, and um, that wasn't the funny part yet, Cheryl. And I hadn't been asleep very long, maybe about 30 minutes or so, I don't know. It, was one, it wasn't the REM sleep. It was the light sleep. Teresa is easily awakened, so she she has gets about an hour of deep sleep a night. So last night I had four and a half hours of light sleep. But and my score was like only like a forty nine. I think all my Saturday nights are in the forties or fifties. Anyway, and I woke up out of this light sleep. I was gonna say dead sleep, but it wasn't. I can't lie. You know, when you first go to sleep, though, you feel like you, you wake up, you feel like you've been asleep for like seven hours, and it's been like 22 minutes, and you're like, I don't, I, I really wish we didn't have to sleep or eat. That's, that's where I live. I don't like either one of those. I know, it's just weird. Anyway, um, and I woke up and I, and I got my phone because the Lord said this, are your ears attached to your comfort? Are your ears, that's good Holy Spirit, isn't it? And I just wrote down a couple of things on that. It's going to be a day of wow statements, okay? So just gear up. I don't even think I have any scriptures, so that's weird, isn't it? Normally I have 7,000 scriptures. Our obedience must be because of how well we are first loved. And so I kind of went on this journey with him. Just that night I wrote down, gifts are meant to empower us, stewarding our hearts. God does not give us more than we can steward well. He brings something to us that is joyful. And when we make it happen, it's stressful. That was just, so I, I went on a journey with him. And here's some more questions I have for you. Some people call me the question master, but it's really the Holy Spirit, you see, because... The Holy Spirit is, I love, I read this thing yesterday where this, this whole guy, he was, all he was talking about was how that he questions everything about God and how much God loves that. How it's caused him to pursue so many revelations because he's always asking God questions. I believe God is the question master. I believe that when he has a question in your heart, he wants you to ask it and he wants it to be answered. We can't be afraid and act like that we're going to get kicked out of church because we're wondering if something's true or not. In fact, I believe today that God really wants to mess up your theology because, you know, God is not linear. And so a couple other questions he asked me are, what mindsets do we carry that contradict the new covenant? Today I'm going to talk about the new covenant of obedience. And so I wanted to just journey with this a little bit. And the other questions he asked me were, what are the mindsets that we have that are actually the old covenant? And so I thought I better tell us a little more insight on the old and new covenant. I'm going to talk fast today, so just listen up. Um, The posture of Jesus was that he came to do something new, as we agree, right? 
we all agree that he came to do something new. And so it really wasn't challenging for him. He really wasn't in a debate with the Pharisees and Sadducees or the lawmakers. He was actually there to give something new. So it was supposed to offend those who had made. That's why since he's the God of the Sabbath, remember, that was one of the laws, keep the Sabbath, keep the hope. But since he's the God of the Sabbath, then that's why he did miracles on the Sabbath, because he was doing things about the kingdom's business. And so the people that were offended were the people who kept the law over relationship. So I wrote this, Jesus conducted business on earth, kingdom business. Do you understand that when he said, I only do what I see the Father doing, that was kingdom business. That's why it's the kingdom has come. The business of the kingdom is here to take over the business of the enemy. That's the God of this world. Do you realize that really the God of this world sometimes operates in our own personal minds? Like, do you understand that Satan maybe doesn't even need to get that involved with your life if your own mind is reeking with confusion and doubt or religion or worlds? That's why the influence of our mind is so important. I see you frantically writing, so I'll slow down. See, what was the kingdom business of the day? It was miracles. See, that's why when Jesus was walking by someone sick, the heart of the Father was ignited and said, that's my baby. That's why Jesus didn't say, well, you're going you're gonna to go to hell. He said, raise up, be healed. Why? Because he knew they couldn't function. Come on. He knew they couldn't function at, at their God design because they were underneath such a weight of lies. See, all sickness is of the devil, and so there's a lie involved in sickness. Because only Satan uses sickness, not God. So Satan's using sickness to what? To preempt you from destiny. So wouldn't it make sense... That if God wanted to bring healing, he would use a vessel that knew he could show you what's going on in somebody else. Whether it be a thought in their head, a feeling in their body. See, that's, that is the school of the new covenant. That that little pain you get in your eyeball, it's not you. So where are you going to practice this schooling? You're going to practice it on the people at the level you know you'll have success. And then you graduate. And you go to a new set of people where he knows you'll have success. Then you graduate. How do we do on the weather Friday? We need some work to be done. Right? We did. We were all faith-filled last month. This is just practice. This is something tangible that you can practice on. And how did you do? Was the weather like you wanted? 
Did it turn out just like you had prayed? Adjust. For next month. You adjust. You just practiced and you saw a measure of success. Kingdom business. I'm talking about kingdom business today. Business. I'm talking about Papa kingdom business today is what I'm talking about. See, Jesus knew that his new thing was that God would govern men's hearts, not the law. See, the law established a standard because men's hearts didn't have a Savior yet. But God didn't intend for the law to go on in written form. That's why Jesus said that there's actually a little higher standard in the kingdom. But see, the thing that you have to understand that's the difference between the old and new kingdom is that the new kingdom came with the power to do it. I've been reading this little article from Andrew Murray, and he actually said this, the new covenant changes the must to can and may. You may do this, and you can do this, not I must do it. Do you, can you hear the yeah. slight difference? Yeah. One's the law and religion, yeah. and one is relationship. Yeah. I've invited you to do something that I've empowered you to do, and you may do it in my name. Yeah. Versus, I'm a horrible person if I can't do it, and I don't want to try because I don't want to fail. I don't look, see, if you stop looking at everything as a failure, it's just practice. When you first got on your little bicycle, you crashed and burned. You may not remember it. You may think you just remember. Remember, then you thought, you know, you could drive a car because you could ride a bike. I mean, it was just weird. All of a sudden, you had all this confidence because now, I mean, I can master this bike. I have a story. So I was like 12, and my mom said that across the street from our house, there was a fire hydrant, and once every so often, they'd turn that thing on full force. That was like a shiny object for me. That thing was beckoning me out into the wild, right? Come out across the street where the fire hydrant is on full force. Well, I guess my mom knew because she was a melon. She was my first white melon. And she said, do not, vanilla melon, she, she said, do not ride your bike in that water. So I got the neighbor's bike because I couldn't ride my it was just, now come on, that was a loophole right there. So as I'm crashing and burning in the cement and rubbing my knees and, and elbows into the asphalt, I'm hearing her voice, don't ride your bike in that water. But as I come limping home, bleeding from all my orifices, my mother just cleans me up and she says, did you ride your bike in the water? And I said, no. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> See, do you understand there's the law? And then there's something written on your heart. I practiced operating by the law. I didn't ride my bike. Again, in that water. Did I ride my bike again? Yes. 
I'm not sure if you got that. So the kingdom is constantly, I just wrote all this, so we're just talking. The kingdom is always industrious. Did, did you know that the judgment of God, the wrath of God has been satisfied on Jesus? So now the judgment of God is on what we do. The works of Jesus, not, not whether you lie or not. Are you sure it's good? Did you get it? The wrath of God, the satisfaction for sin. See, we got so many wrong definitions. I wrote a few down. Let me, write, let me tell you what I wrote down. Things we have wrong de definitions for, love. It's who God is. Not what he's doing. It's not a feeling we're pursuing from God. I hope he loves me. God is love. My encounter with love removes everything but love from me. You want this experience. And you have to have this experience every day. Otherwise, you'll sink back into the law of first mention. It's a person. Love. This is, I'm giving you the definition of love. It's a person. It's, a, it's, it's God. Did I mention that? I'm calling him the person today. It's him. In all of his many variety names and states and experiences. Grace. Here's another one. It's the power, not the cover-up. I'll have more to say about that in a minute. Eternal life. It's our destiny. It's not to be feared. It's supposed to be trained for. It's ruling and reigning. It's not understandable in the human time model. Don't try to understand eternal life with your human understanding. Family. It's what God makes for us on earth. It's not how you got here. It might be. If God made it for you. If it's thriving and it's... You know, the weird thing about... We, we tend to act like we owe something. I heard God say the day, Why doesn't someone ache to know my heart? Instead of aching to know if my family approves of me. It's not necessarily where you were born. I said it earlier, your mother's womb was just a dressing room. Before the worlds were formed, he knew you. The question is, are you going to allow him to know you as a human? This intimacy. See, because that's how we're teachable. Okay. Ju I'll go to another one because y'all didn't like that one. Judgment of God. That was poured out on Jesus, not you. Yes. It's satisfied. Yes. Turn to your neighbor and say, God ain't mad no more. Isn't that cool? Yes. God ain't mad no more. Have you ever had a kid and 
You ask them to do something and they did the opposite, like ride their bike into the... How'd that make you feel? How does it make you feel when your children disobey you? Does it make you thrilled, tickle pink, happy? Think about it. Are you more upset that they just went against what you said or more upset that you can see it's against who they are? There's your answer. Covenant. I just had to give Breezy the cheat sheet because, you know, she was tired of looking. Okay. Covenant. It's an invitation to the more. It's the abundance of the kingdom. It's not a restriction from doing other things. Yes. Well, great. Pam likes that one. Sin. It's just a violation of your God-made original design. God ain't afraid of it. You are. It's what separates you from Him, from the Creator. Listen to this. Heart understood repentance removes any stain, pain, grief, disqualification of it. It's not something that makes God mad at you. He's grieved due to the separation of you and him. I've learned this recently, relationally. That some people are more upset about the separation when conflict happens. More than they are about the conflict. How about you? That's God. That's God's heart. He's more grieved. Do you hear me today? He's more grieved because of the separation, because of the life he made for you, that he wants for you, that he provided for you, that he made, he made provision for the thing that would keep you separated from him. It says because of his great love, he made reconnection easier and permanent. It's Jesus. Jesus. That's the easy and permanent reconnection to God, Jesus. Easy and permanent. True repentance is more about turning to the kingdom ways. It always has been. Here's Here's two things. Sin is not the reality. The kingdom ways are. Repentance says, I'm just going to turn turn away from what I didn't know when I was stupid doing it and what somebody did to me. Remember, it's just two camps. And I'm turning into the kingdom mindset. I may not be good at it yet. I may be better at this other mindset. And it slips on in there every now and then. You ought to think like that. Right? Does anybody know what I'm talking about at all? True repentance is more about turning to the kingdom than it is away from sin or the blinding of the enemy. It's just blinding. That's why he came to get the cataracts off, the scales off. The enemy blinds with distortions and counterfeits of reality. The supernatural is the reality. Whether anyone believed it or not, whether heaven and earth pass away, God's name will be established. It will, his way will be established. 
He invited you. It's an invitation. He invited you to come and participate during your time on earth for his one destiny. What's his one? What I said it earlier to the worship team, his one thing. Let me just read it to you one more time. God's number one agenda is, with no plan B is to have a man made in his image and likeness, a many-membered man, the body of Christ. That's you. That's the many-membered man. Got it? Just the realization that something is not kingdom means it's sin. See, this is why you can't be afraid of the word sin. It's a separator, a belief system, not even an action. A belief system that goes against your faith that God planted in you strategically is against him. So therefore, it serves another agenda. So therefore, it serves another God. So therefore, it is sin. Yes. Yes. Just the realization that something is not kingdom means it's sin because it serves the motives and ambitions of a different God. A little g. There's an ambition and a motive. What is the motive of the enemy? His motive is to kill, steal, and destroy. It's just three simple words. I think he spends most of, our, most of his time stealing dreams from us. And he does that by inserting words over us in our childhood that we still remember as adults that we act like define us. Can I shoot it to you straight right here? That's sin to you. That was what somebody, mother, father, aunt, uncle, grandpa, grandma, sibling, said to you about you that didn't know who you were. For you to believe that over the promises and truth of God, it's sin to you. You will have to, at some time, to do your destiny on earth, you will have to reject that in full. You'll have to repent for every way you put actions toward doing that false thing to be able to embrace the kingdom. And it just depends if you want to do that for 30 years. See, I may not be great and perfect at being what he told me to be, but I am not going to be what someone told me when I was five years old. Did you know the weird thing? If you go and talk to a kid about what happened, they can't even recount it accurately. So some of your memories that you've banked on as being the disqualifier... If you went back in time and got a little movie shot of that, that may not even be what happened back there. Your mom, your dad, your aunt, your uncle, your grandpa, your grandma may have been saying something completely different, like, can you just get me some milk? And you thought it meant you're lactose intolerant. That's how it happens right there. I'm telling you, that's how it happens. Those words are like popcorn in your head. Not enough. It all comes down to not enough. I said that I read it in the alignment book a few weeks ago. The bottom line is the enemy wants you to think you're not enough. So what's his pick of arrow he shot at you? 
It's a disqualifier because it came from another God. And can I tell you that you can make sure you'll intersect with it in the future when you keep thinking it and speaking it about you. That thing, you'll walk into it one day. I knew that was going to happen. I've been saying it all my life. I was going to get cancer. I've been saying it all my life. I wasn't going to amount to nothing. I've been saying it all my life. I wasn't going to have a good job. I've been saying it all my life. My son wasn't going to be nothing. I've been saying it all my... Yeah, you've been saying it. You've been prophesying it, prophesying it, And eventually you'll run right into the prophecy that you said. Listen, if you're not saying it out loud and you're saying it in here, you're putting actions to what you're saying in here, even if nobody... I read this thing from a lady. Let me just tell you this one. This is really good. She said, I am so ready. This is a psychologist, and I'm fixing to read her book, see if we're going to do it. I am so ready to give up on who I think I'm supposed to be. Uh, To lay down what I've been conditioned to see. And to be and live in a world that is limitless. In and through and to me. She said, but you've got to do the work. You've got to get curious about a few things. She said, here's four things. Number one, your open self. These are the things that you are known by both you and others. Your blind spots. These are the things about you that are unknown to you. But are seen by everybody else. Your hidden self, those things about you that you hide from others. And number four, the unknown self, the deep priceless things that God is so excited for you to discover and premiere to the world. There's your four selves right there. Y'all just dance around them four things all day long. I love it. She said, the bridge between who you think you are and who you truly are is curiosity. There's more to you than you know. Back to my definitions. Isn't that where I'm at? Great. So the realization that something's not kingdom means that it's sin and it's because it serves the motives and ambitions of another God. But once that is revealed, that's the moment, that's the opportunity for true repentance. And then your motives and ambitions change to the one true God and his kingdom. See, try to... Try to have enough gumption in you that you don't want to live one more day serving another God. Come on. Last definition I wrote yesterday was sickness. It's the demonic at work in humans. Just like I said a while ago about if you keep prophesying over yourself, that's what happens to us. Do you can you even catch yourself? This headache's killing me. Man, my knee is killing me. Remember what I said earlier? We want God to hear from heaven. If my people. Had you ever looked at that scripture that way? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. 
We were so scared of the word wicked, we thought that meant something really horrible. It actually just means an entrenchment, a weaving of ideas that are not God's. Literally, I'm getting way too excited. Has that been hanging down here all day? I'm dropping the mic. What was I saying? That, that have been wo- interwoven, and then we feel like we can pick and choose activity after that. Let me read you a little snippet from Andrew Murray. I just love this. I've been reading this little article by him. You know who Andrew Murray was, right? He was, he was born in like 1820-something. He was a South African minister. Do you know him? He wrote a bunch of really cool... What? V, what's up? And <laughs> this is what he said on the subject of obedience. He said, obedience is possible. Isn't that good news? Yes. He talked about the difference between law and grace. Okay, I'm going to get to that. That's where we're headed, okay? So it says this. Now remember, he wrote in, in King James Version, basically. I mean, I don't know what it is. He has a lot of these analysis, is what I'm going to say. The thought of a demand which man cannot possibly render cuts at the very root of true hope and strength. The secret thought, no man can obey God throws thousands back into the old covenant life. Have you ever had that thought, God's ways are too hard? What? So when I live from that thought, I step into the old covenant. You didn't hear me. When I have any thoughts about God that says humanity can't do this, I'm in the old covenant. Thoughts like, well, Jesus was God. He wasn't a man. Thoughts like, you know, well, you know, it's just too hard. I I mean, I just have these thoughts. I can't do anything about it. You know, all of that and more, right? You're missing the point of the covenant. In other words, Jesus came for no reason. Did you hear me at the beginning? He came for something new. So it's got to offend the old. It has to because it's new. The only people who can't experience the next move of God are those who experience the last move of God. That is not going to be me. Why? Because we're going to keep adjusting with the new revelations. Am I teaching the same thing I did 10 years with God? I hope not. I hope I know something different in these 10 years of navigating with people and ministry and business and life and God that hopefully I have a new theology working every day. Of course, there's some basics. I don't need to go with that with y'all. He says it throws thousands back into the old covenant life into a false peace that God does not expect more than, than that we do our Best. But he said, obedience is possible. The whole new covenant promise 
secures this for us. This is what he's writing back in 1800s. 1800s. Ahead of his time? What are you writing and singing and doing that's ahead of its time? See, if you're not doing something or saying something, I love working with Chrissy because she doesn't know that she don't know nothing. You know what I mean? Like she just spits it out and I'm like, dang. And she's like, has anybody ever sung this or said this or written this before? No, that's new. That's a new thing. That's a new thing. She's messing with our, he through her, messing with our minds, not letting us get stuck in the old thing. She didn't come out of religion. I hate religion. (laughs) This is him still writing. To a healthy man, it's a delight to work. To put forth their strength and conquer a difficulty. To a slave, it's bondage. Oh, y'all need that. (laughs) See, we don't have a, we don't see what's interesting. People who hate work become workaholics because they're missing the whole point. You know, I, I, I interact with Pam a lot and every now and then I can feel Pam. She's leaning over, (laughs) leaning over her kind of like, get back over here. We're not a slave. We're not hiring. Right. We're not in, he says it, it, to a slave, it's bondage and weariness. Yeah. Man, that's so good. Wow. See, that's what you have to get today is that the new covenant, he's talking about the provision in the new covenant. It's really what you think up here. If you just change this, this will change. Everybody's wanting this to change, so this will change. But see, the model of practice is you have an event and you have an impending storm and you see if you can move it. That's the measurement of how great your faith was. Do you want to be measured? Do you want to think about it and say, wow, we prayed and we were excited and yeah, we didn't get any help, but man, it blew all the nests down at one time. We couldn't stop the front. We weren't that strong. Adjust. That should be like, thanks for the marker. Thanks for the marker. Thanks. I see I need to get that next time. I clearly didn't pray enough about the wind. Even the wind and waves obey him. Did it obey you? Us? It's not a sign of condemnation. It was practice. How's cancer going to back off? Wow, come on. You can't even move some wind around. Cancer's way bigger than wind. Just saying. To help us. So we either fall under condemnation and say, well, this faith thing don't work. I mean, you know, I'll just let somebody else pray about the weather last time because clearly I can't pray about it because it didn't happen. So I'm just just done with that. That's that's how wimpy we are. It's true. I thought y'all would be more excited about that. Very excited. 
The old covenant demanded obedience within some big word with the word must. An unchangeable must. Can you hear it? Must. And then the threat that followed. Yeah. You must do this or you die. Right? The new covenant changes the must to the can and may. He said, do ask God. That's what he just said. Do ask God. Ask God to show you how you've been created in Jesus unto good works. I love this. He says, how fitted as a vine is for bearing grapes. Your new nature is perfectly prepared for a good work. Do you get that? Should we explain it to them? (laughs) So he's saying that a vine is an analogy. What grows on a vine? Stuff like grapes, right? The proof that the vine's doing well, that it's doing its intended purpose on the earth. The grape's not wanting to be a cow. Humans doing their intended purpose are good works. Your nature in the new covenant wants to do the good works. It's part of the nature of the new covenant not to lay in bed and be lazy. He said... Ask him to show you that he, what he means about obedience, not only to be a possible thing, but the most delightful, attractive gift he has given to us. It's the entrance into his love and all blessings. The entrance, the entrance. That means it's, you're just at the beginning. Right? In the new covenant, the chief thing is not the wonderful treasure of strength and grace it contains, nor the divine security that the treasure can never fail, but that the living God gives himself and makes himself known and takes possession of us as God. I'm trying to, de- I'm trying to delineate for you. The old covenant was all on you. You ain't that you ain't that good. You ain't that strong. Right? The new covenant, all the power comes from God, all the ability. He said that that's the greatest gifts. For this man was created, for this he was redeemed again, for this that it may be our actual experience. The Holy Spirit has been given and is dwelling in us. Between what God has already uh, uh, born in us and what he waits to work on in us, obedience is the blessed link. 
He said his one work in life, his one thing is to obey. So he, he made this little statement. Let's take a vow of obedience. Wanna? What is a vow? I love Ecclesiastes. It says don't make a vow unless, you know, because you can't break them. It's saying, let me read on because I can tell you're nervous to do it right now. So let me read on because I can tell you're not sure if you can. It's, it's, it's a really powerful article. Let me read this couple more snippets here. He says, the connection between these things uh, are these three things. Seek to have a deep sense of your very ignorance of God's will. Don't you love this language? He said, the consciousness of ignorance lies at the root of true teachableness. Have you ever met anybody that when you meet them, they want to tell you all they know? Why are we so afraid of not knowing when we came to the planet not knowing? Why are we so afraid of that? I mean, that there's a root in you when you do that. When you come into a relationship and you're, this is you relationally. Let me tell you everything I know how to do. Yes. Let me tell you how good I am. Instead of coming into the room saying, hey, how would you do this? Hey, do you know a better way? Hey. See, we act like we've got to come into the room and prove our value. Yes. It's really what it is. It's a value problem. The consciousness of ignorance lies at the root of true teachableness. That's why he said the meek will guide the way. Those who humbly confess their need of training and teaching. Why do you think I made those slides at the end of the service? I came to apprehend something I need for me. It didn't say I came to teach everybody everything I know. Really, we need to repent from needing to know everything. We need to repent from self-protection that says, let me explain to you why I've done everything the way I've done it. I don't care. You need to not care. You need to stop that process in you that needs to explain yourself why you do everything. Because that's, well, I'm not even going to say what that is. But you know. <laughs> The meek will guide the way those who humbly confess their need of teaching. He said this, head knowledge only gives human thoughts without power. See, the cool thing about being in the spirit, you can tell when someone's just heady. Because all you hear is blah, 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 blah. He said, God by his spirit gives a living, I love that, a living knowledge that enters the love of the heart, that enters the love of the heart and works effectually. See, that tells me that there's, there are pass-throughs, right? So see, if it doesn't come through the channel of love, right? 
The second thing he said was cultivate a strong faith that God will make you know wisdom in the hidden part of you, in the heart of you. He says, you may have known so little of this in your Christian life hitherto for that the thought appears strange. Learn that God's working, the place where he gives his life and light is in the heart. It's deeper than all your thoughts. Any uncertainty about God's will makes a joyful obedience impossible. Any uncertainty about God's will makes a joyful obedience impossible. Any uncertainty about God's will makes a joyful obedience impossible. That sounds like broken trust to me. Any uncertainty about God's will. Were you taught God was the underdog? Well, you're going to have a hard time joyfully obeying when he says die daily. You're going to not know the definition of die daily. It's going to sound like lose everything. I love this. He said, count upon him for this. Believe most confidently that the Father is willing to make known what he wants you to do. Count upon him for this. He's going to make known. He's the lead. Right? That really messed me up yesterday when that guy was talking about praying and the humbling and the turning from our wicked ways. And then God will hear from heaven. I'm like thinking, why does God need to hear from heaven? Because he's got the answers. Do you get that? That was the model of Jesus. He walked in this humble position. So he was always hearing. There was an open portal always. See, that there's an open heaven since Jesus died. We're not praying for some open heaven. We're trying to pray for some open minds. The heaven's open. It's your ability to wield it and understand it and not let your wicking get in the way. Don't you, aren't you tired of your wicking getting in the way? Turn from wicking. When you figure out something, I had this cool experience yesterday. I told them I was going to tell this. I'm not going to say their name. But this is a commonality. There's an extrovert and introvert's interaction. So the introvert is thinking what they would rather do. But they phrase it, they phrase it to the extrovert like the extrovert is lacking in some way. <laughs> well, see, that takes a lot for me to figure out what's going on there because I'm like, Excuse me, because I'm trying not to laugh. Because I'm like, the words that are coming out of y'all's mouth don't make sense for this problem. And see, that's what we do. Inside this introvert was this hidden agenda. It was a good agenda. It was hidden. So the phraseology of how to get the extrovert to adopt it. And see, all personalities do this. I was just using it. It was so odd to me that I was like, that didn't make any sense. So I had to dig out the real agenda. Yeah. 
if their real agenda was actually relational. See, the point of it is, is that it's what I, I read about um, from whatever, Margaret, I didn't say her name, but when she said that there's these four cells in operation. See, we often, listen to me, we often, 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 almost all the time are hiding something within us that is actually a true desire that's actually good, thinking the other person's going to judge it, so we rework it, and then neither party, neither party are successful in the relationship because you just reworked and rerouted and restated, and we don't even know what we're talking about anymore. So what's the moral of this story is to actually reveal, that's what I told him, I said, well, if you say, well, this is what I would like to do, how do you feel about that? then that can be tweaked if necessary. That can be championed if necessary. That can be whittled down if necessary. But if it's not even the real thing that God said, then we're actually whittling down the false sense of what was said that isn't even the real thing. So it will not be successful for change. I hope you got that. Number three. This is in this, whether we're going to decide whether we're going to make a vow of obedience or not. I know. In view of the darkness, I'm on it today. In view of the darkness and deceitfulness of the flesh and fleshly mind, ask God, and he said very earnestly. You know earnestly, right? For his searching and convincing light of the Holy Spirit. See, here's, here's a practical way to say it. Why are you scared to obey God? There's something inside your little flesh that's, defe- that's deceived. Because God made you to obey. He made provision and power to obey. So your lack of obedience or your hiding means you're deceived serving another God in that area so if I repent I could turn over here and just see the kingdom way I can't see the kingdom way as long as I'm turned here because it's back here that's why he says you'll hear a voice behind you it's only behind you when you're turned Hello? Hello? Have you ever heard one of them behind you? Hello? Turn around. You're believing still. Spirit of stupid again from last week, right? I'll hear a voice behind me saying, walk this way. And his head goes. See, if you understood, it's so much joy to just partner with him in all these ways because nothing's bad. I mean, you, where did you get that deceit? I don't know. Somebody just told you something one day about something that wasn't true, and you just said, okay. Remember I said, uh, I said okay. Remember it was a two-line conversation? Spirit of stupid, okay. It's the same spirit. Right? 
Where was I? There may be many things which you have been accustomed to think lawful or allowable, which your father wants to do you to do it differently. To consider it settled that they are the will of God because others and you think so may effectively shut you out of knowing God's will and other things. That's real practical. See that, I wish we could understand that that's why it's so important to just ask some questions. I love it when someone says, I kind of feel like blah. I'll use Mendel again. She's so easy. She's got so much product. But she'll be thinking something really pure and really amazing and not know it. And she'll be like, hey, do you think, does this sound like God? And she's not sure. And I'm like going, that's the greatest thing ever. Now, there's occasionally where she is like off in crazy land, crazy town. And I'll be like, what is that? No, that's you don't need to think like that or do like that. It's just great to have somebody to bounce something off of. But when we're all hidden up and we're just acting like, well, I just want to present this other thing, then do you understand that you're actually not even getting in any refinement on your true self? You're actually refining a false you. It's such an exhausting activity. Back to the vine. Thank you. Do you remember the vine? Remember I said that the vine grows fruit after its kind. Humans were meant to grow fruit that looks like the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The attributes of the fruit of the Spirit are peace, joy, kindness, long-suffering, <laughs> meekness, gentleness, and my favorite, self-control. Those are the fruits of love. I know that I've encountered love when those fruits are oozing out of me. Pam sent me a text this week. She said, you're the most patient person I've ever met in my life. And when I grow up, I want to be like you. And I said, well, here's the thing about patience. What did I say? It just <laughs> fell out. It just fell out as soon as I said that. I got to feeling big-headed for a second, I think. No, I'm kidding. Um, hang on, I'll think of it because it's normal. Um, Oh, I said, well, I just think that if I wasn't doing this, I'd be doing something else. So it doesn't matter if I'm, in, this isn't really patient field because this is just what I'm, I'm doing this to completion. It doesn't have to be a big patience thing. I'm just not to the end of it yet. Instead of acting like, gosh, this takes, because what, what happened? I had an expectation it was going to be two minutes, and instead it was an hour. That sounds like lunch on Sunday for us. We think it's going to be 20 minutes because that's what they said, and we get to the restaurant and we wait for an hour. That's patience. No, because we can't eat till we get it. This is just what we're doing till we get the food. See, then it doesn't, it doesn't we, we give patience such a bad rap when it's life. I love this. He said, just bring everything without reserve to the judgment and to be explained by and applied by the Holy Spirit. Bring everything. 
There, therein lies our issue. We don't bring everything. We select. We're our selective obedience, selective mentoring, selective counseling, selective wording, selective worship. This is selective. What do I feel? How do I feel today? Today, I feel. I feel like mm, standing and raising my hands in worship today. Today, I'm just too tired. I'm just going to sit down. I don't see in the Bible where he said, come bring your sit down worship. I mean, you can make up worship, mean anything you want, but he said, lift up holy hands. He said, come into the sanctuary with praise. You can do some other version of it you want, but that don't call it worship then. You can give a selected, come on, get your toes out. You can give a selected amount of money that you want, but don't call that sacrificial giving when it's not even what he said and you didn't even ask him. You just looked at a number and you just decided 10 because that was your number. That's not even what it means. Your, his overabundance is poured out determined upon your sacrifice. So you're limiting what he can give. And don't call it something else because that's really what's happening. See, you're not given to Tisa. You're given to him. You're given to something that's changed your life or not. Go somewhere that does change your life. Take it all. Bring it all without reserve to the judgment word of God. And let him, let the Holy Spirit explain what's going on. Okay. That's all I want to read about that. So this is your moment. Are you going to take a vow? I can tell you're not quite ready. Let me read a couple more things. No? So here it is. The law demands from you. Grace promises and performs for you. Come on, I'm trying to get you to go into a vow of obedience with me. I'm just trying to tell you what really is at stake. I mean, this is really how it is. The law is demanding the grace is the provider. It's the empowerment. The law, if you're doing anything of yourself, you can tell because it doesn't work out. It creates stress. It creates strain. It's not relational. It's independent. It's self-satisfying. The law deals with what we ought to do, whether we can do it or not. By the appeal to our motives of fear and love, and it stirs us up to do our best. But it gives us no real strength, so it only leads to failure and condemnation. Grace points us, points to what we cannot do, and offers to do it for us. We clearly have a misdefinition of grace. It's the power. It's the power. Turn to your neighbor and say, grace is the power. The, the law comes with commands on stone or in a book. But grace comes in a living, gracious person who gives us his presence and power. The law promises life if we obey. Grace gives life. Even the Holy Spirit with the assurance that we can obey. We can obey. So see, that's, that's what he's offering. This covenant of obedience means that there's, 
there is a cultivating of activity in you that he gets to come for all the things that will make your life better. I love Romans 5. I have to read scripture today. And it says, there is still so much more to say of his unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration, you are now righteous in my sight. And because of Jesus, the sacrifice of him, you will never experience the wrath of God. If we shift our focus today off of judgment from God, which all the judgment or wrath of God was poured out on Jesus, then we get to the business of focusing on righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I have one more thing before Mendel comes. She's going to lead us in the... I'm going to make her lead us in the... It says, this is uh, Romans, again, this is death. Did I say Romans already? <laughs> death, this is 17. Death once held us in its grip by the blunder of one man. Death reigned as king over our humanity. But now, how much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in this life? enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus Messiah. You know, another word in, it says is that is the gift of covenant membership. Covenant membership. Think of it today that you're making a vow of obedience into a membership of an elite group of people yes. called the New Covenant People. Yes. Come on, Mendel. Wow, wow, wow. Wow. You know, if um, the Holy Spirit is amazing. You know, I didn't know what Tisa was going to um, bring today. And, um, you know, she was having her own encounter at her house. I was having my own encounter at my house yesterday. And we, as the way the day turned out, we didn't even have maybe two minutes to even talk to each other about anything that we had, had happened in our encounter. So um, it happens like that a lot. So I, it was a really cool experience for me to listen to her today because it start, everything started to tie together with what my encounter revealed yesterday. And so I want to try to share it with you, even though I feel like it's something that I could really study out a lot longer. I'm going to try, I have to try to share this with you. I just feel like the Holy Spirit led me here on purpose for this. So um, he led me to read an Exodus yesterday, which was really interesting. And again, I wasn't even sure why until just a minute ago. But 
Um, in Exodus, and I'm not going to read a lot of the scriptures. I'm just going to tell you to go read in Exodus. Okay, it's all you can go find it there. And I'm going to paraphrase a lot. So we know that, you know, after the um, Moses led the Israelites out through the Red Sea, God parted the Red Sea, and they, they entered into the desert, right? And just want to point out that it has also been prophesied, right, that we were in a Red Sea season, okay? So just throw that in there. So after, shortly after they made it through the Red Sea, and God took out the enemy, now they're in the desert, and now God wants to come and speak to the people directly, right? And so I think most of us know this story. Um, he wants to speak with them directly, but I want to paraphrase and let's just say today he wanted to introduce them to his grace. Let's just look at it that way today. He wanted, he said, hey, let me tell you about my power that I'm going to share with you face to face. Let me t introduce you to grace. Um, so but, you know, they got scared. So God started talking to them and they got scared and basically backed away. And they said, no, Moses, you talk to him. We we're going to stand over here. You let us know what he said. So that was <laughs> a really sad thing. If only we could go back in time. Right. And fix that. But um, so at that point in time, God's like, all right, he's always got a plan B. So then he tells Moses and a few other people to come up and he begins to give them all sorts of instructions. I mean, uh, all sorts of instructions on how to live life. And in fact, when I was reading it yesterday, I was like, wow, he was so eager because he didn't say, well, I'm going to give you this instruction today and have you wait another couple of years. And then I'll tell you about this insight. I, I just picture it as, all right, now I've got you. You're my people. You're in front of me. Let me tell you, you're going to do this on this day and do this on that day. You, know, you want to do this now? Treat this person like this. I mean, it was really, really detailed. I didn't remember. I don't even know if I've ever read the story the way I did yesterday. How many um, details he was providing. He was just pouring out all these instructions. So one of the things, though, um, since the people were scared and God started giving Moses instructions on how to build the tabernacle and because he said, I want to dwell among the people. And so even though they wouldn't hear from him, he still was like, I want to dwell among the people. So make a place for me that you can basically carry along. And that way I'll still be amongst the people. And this tent of congregation, I think they called it at one point, um, was supposed to be in the center of their camp because he wanted to be in the center of where all of his people were. And he was like, well, okay, okay, well, I'll talk to you, Moses, but I'm going to hover. I'm going to bring my presence into this tent. And so as I'm sure most of you know, the instructions for how to build this, this tabernacle, this place for him to come and dwell was extremely detailed. It was um, to be very, very specific and very ornate. And any of the priests that were to come near it or interact with him in that way were to be clothed in certain ways. Very, 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 very detailed and very elaborate. Now, think that this these were people who were slaves. I think it was just a couple months after they had passed through the Red Sea. They were slaves in Egypt, and now they're in the middle of the desert. And so it had never occurred to me that where did they get all this material from to build this really elaborate place for him to dwell? Well, I had read not too long ago that um, 
when God led the people, told Moses to bring the people out of Israel, he said, don't worry, you won't leave empty handed. And so he gave instruction then for all of the Israelites to go to their Egyptian neighbors and say, hey, give me some, give me your stuff. And so they loaded them up with all sorts of wealth. So when they left Egypt, they did not leave empty handed. They left with the wealth of the ones who had oppressed them, the oppressors, the whole culture. And so it was interesting to me what I saw yesterday is that even though the people had said we had basically rejected God's voice, he said he wanted to come and dwell with them. But look at what was in specifically in these verses. I took a few screenshots of my scriptures because I didn't really have this all planned out. He says in Exodus 35, and he actually says this in multiple chapters, okay? I think the um, pouring out of the, of the instructions for how to build the tabernacle, I think it starts somewhere around 25, but he has to repeat himself a few times because the people are freaking out and doing weird things, right? So, but he's not afraid to repeat himself. But look at this in Exodus 35, he's giving these instructions again. And in verse four, it says, take up an offering to the eternal one. Let those with willing hearts bring the following as an offering to the eternal one. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linens, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, sea cow skins, acacia wood, olive oil for lamps, spices for anointing oil, and fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and other stones for the high priest vests, and breast piece. It goes on and on and on, all the materials that they use. There's a lot of detail in there. Verse 10, let all who are gifted with wisdom and skill come and make these things that the internal one has instructed. And he specifically gives people gifts to come and do this, okay? In verse 20, then all those whose hearts and minds moved them came back, bringing their valuables as a contribution to the eternal one for the congregation tent, all its service and all the sacred garments. Everyone with a willing heart, both men and women, came back with brooches, earrings, signet rings, bracelets, and all sorts of other gold and items presented them and presented them as an offering of gold to the eternal one. Verse 29, all the Israelites, both men and women, who felt moved to provide the material needed to do this work, brought these offerings willingly and set them before the eternal one exactly as he had instructed Moses. Willingly. So what stood out to me here is that God wanted, we know, to speak directly to their hearts, right? And instead, they, he ended up having to write his law on the stone tablets and speak through Moses. But he still got it in there. He still moved on their hearts. And I'm, see, I'm seeing here that his original intention was that his tabernacle, his dwelling place, would be made out of a willing heart. even out of a willing heart. He, he didn't say, I took these slaves, I scared them half to death, and then I made them give me all, my, all their stuff 
so I could build me a place. I mean, here, right there, I mean, it says those with willing hearts, those whose hearts and minds were moved, those whose hearts stirred and spirits moved. He still built his original, his first tabernacle out of the hearts, willing hearts of men and women, those who chose it, those who obeyed with a willing heart. This was a really, really monumental thing also because these were slaves coming out of out of Egypt. They were very familiar with hard work. They knew how to build things and they had skills, but they had never built anything out of the willingness of their own heart. So they got, they used creativity and their their skills their workmanship all that they knew and all of their own uh, property all of their own goods they chose to build god's temple for his presence to dwell with them out of a willing heart now it's interesting remember i said that they were oppressed obviously in egypt and the people who were oppressing them actually ended up Um, giving them all of this wealth that then they chose out of a willing heart to build his tabernacle. Well, there's, um, there have been, uh, there's lots of prophetic words. There's some people that I'm um, been tracking with, especially um, prophetically that are saying that we are in a time, not only after, okay, after they pass through the red sea, as we've been saying, we're in a red sea moment that there was the, there's a system in, ma- in the worldly system that has um, sat on all of this wealth, basically, and has been oppressing the godly people and what God wants to do, and it's about to be released. So there, there's multiple stories actually in the Bible of this happening, and so it's being prophesied that that is where we're at right now, and that's why all of these evil agendas and, and our things are being exposed because they are about to turn. And the result of all that is they're going to turn over their wealth to give to the people of God. Now, it was interesting because Johnny Enlow pointed out that this was going to be a test of abundance, a test of abundance for God's people. What are you going to do when the oppressive uh, regime turns over all their wealth. All right, what are you going to do with it? Because even just like the Egyptians, they had a choice. Those with a willing heart provided what they had to build his temple. Okay, so there's a test of abundance. Now get this, this is this was just blowing my mind, but Kat Kerr, I've been listening to her a lot and she has, you know, all these visitations to heaven and she has seen um, there's in some of her books, it goes into great detail to describe what Lucifer actually looked like and why he looked the way he did. And we've all heard that he was really beautiful in heaven. He was actually covered in head to toe with jewels, with, with the jewels of heaven. So he, he sparkled with the very things that sparkle in the heart of God. There's all sorts of, there's way more detail than that. And so Johnny Inlow provided a unique perspective the other day, and he said, you know, we are the, we the, we're the replacement 
for Lucifer. Lucifer was a worshiper of heaven. He fell, and now we are the worshipers, okay? So look at us as replacements for him. Well, Lucifer failed the test of abundance. Lucifer actually, and I believe Kat Kerr says that he was one of the only angels, if not the only one, who was allowed to actually walk within the Father. He could walk the halls of the Father's heart and, and be in the sea of where all of these jewels and everything came from, and he was literally covered from head to toe in them. I mean, if that's not abundance, I don't know what is. And so he failed the test of abundance because he wanted it for himself right? So now we are replacing him. We are entering into a season where we are going to be the recipients of an incredible abundance poured out to us. And so the test for us won't be that, you know, can we um, lay down our life in terms of be killed for the glory of God, you know, like martyrs, but can we rise up and steward the wealth that God's pouring in this season? and lay our lives down in that way. Can we raise ourselves up and do what Lucifer failed to do? Can we worship him and be obedient with what he says to do with all that he's entrusted us with? Now, the other thing that I'd never, ever, ever thought about, which actually 99.9% .9 of everything I've said I'd never thought about before, so, but... So that was just a, a funny statement for me to say. I don't know why I said that. But now it occurred to me while I was reading this story in Exodus that it reminded me of the Acts church. Acts 2 and Acts 4, it talks about how the people sold everything and gave everything to whoever needed it, and there were no needs among them. And they basically became a unified people who said, whatever I have is yours for the kingdom. Now, just like in Exodus, the people gave everything they had to build his temple. But who's, who's the temple in the New Testament? We are. So when the people of Acts said there were no needs among them, they were saying there were no needs for the temple that will go unmet. Because you're the temple, you're the temple, you're the temple, you're the temple. We're the many-membered body is what Tisa said earlier, right? So when they provided for the needs of the people, they were providing for the building of the temple, right? And so that's where we're at. That's our modern-day, present-day example. So will we be obedient? Will we pass the test of abundance is the question. And of course, I think that's why, you know, the Holy Spirit is giving us, we have such deep, deep, deep teaching here because the Holy Spirit knows who's ready and, and hungry enough and willing enough to receive this level of teaching so that our hearts can be shaped and molded and sculpted into what they need to be for this next season. He's setting us up for success. He was trying to set the Israelites up for success from the very beginning. He was trying to introduce them to his grace. But we now have the grace. Undeniably, we have the grace because of Jesus, like, like Tisa taught on today. We have the power to obey. 
we have the ability and the power to obey him and be obedient in this season. Now, one last thing I'll share. The very first thing that brought me to this whole um, revelation yesterday was that the Holy Spirit showed me a picture of broken of the broken tablets and and he led me on led me to Exodus and I was trying to figure out why was he showing me the broken tablets well you know Moses went and talked to God and he gave him all these instructions and I didn't realize this but the first set of tablets God wrote with his own finger he he provided the stones and he actually wrote his the laws on the tablets with his own finger and of course Moses was up there for 40 days and 40 nights and the people got scared and so then they they had already been told and they actually heard from the voice of God themselves not to ever build an idol or make an idol so within 40 days time they get scared and the, they build an idol they, they they gave all of their earrings all their possessions all their gold for the fake temple right it was the fake temple, and so they built this golden calf. And so Moses comes down, and he is so mad that what he sees that he throws the tablets down and breaks them. And so I went to look at when, you know, he pleads for mercy from God for the people, and, and he goes back up, and he's meeting with God again, and, and God tells him, you cut, cut stones and bring them, and I'll tell you my, my instructions again, these ten directives and um, this time, Moses wrote it. And I've been trying to figure out ever since yesterday what's, why the Holy Spirit was showing me that. The first set of tablets, God wrote with his own finger. He wrote his ways, his laws with his own finger. The second set, a man wrote it. He had to write it. He heard from God and he wrote it. But he wrote it with his own hands, okay? He inscripted on there. So that the this last thing that i have gathered is today is that it that is symbolic again of what god wanted to write with his own heart on our hearts he wanted to write with his own finger on our hearts but that was symbolic of man almost taking making their own way and man was uh, tethering themselves to laws instead of the heart of god as that's maybe there's more revelation on that that's what i've gotten so far so we have because of jesus we have this grace to recognize and be written on by the finger of god ourselves we can do the first way we can say you write on me god i won't write my own definitions with my own hand on what you said on what you meant i won't sketch this in stone myself I'll let you give me the right definitions and speak to me which leads us right back to what Tisa said today and so all of those incredible um, correct definitions that she gave us and we, we've been talking about that for a while the Holy Spirit wants to do that for us he wants us to be vulnerable to be to bear ourselves to to, to show so that we can see where we're off and where we need do, new definitions and so Tisa, did you want me to share, um, lead everybody in the vow of, where is it? Is it written? Oh, it's, I see. You made it sound like you'd written out a vow of obedience. Okay. Well, let me just close that up then. 
It was the willing heart. Yes. <clears throat> yes, yes. You know, another cool thing that I, I read was that the, the Israelites gave, they just continued to bring and bring all their materials, all of these supplies, until the workers who were overseeing this and assembling, you know, beginning construction on the temple, they finally said, we've got more than enough. We, we already have more than enough. We've got a problem. The people are still bringing us stuff. They're still bringing us stuff, and we've got more than we need. And so Moses had to tell them to stop bringing your stuff. And so I just love that, and it reminds me also of what um, one of our decrees at the end of the service that we read and we proclaim and we declare and we prophesy that God always provides for what he's wanting to build. He will provide more than enough, which means he's given us access to more than enough to build what he wants to reside in, what he wants to dwell in. So, Papa, we just say today that we are willing, willing heart. We have willing hearts and willing minds and that our spirits are open to be moved by you. I'm remembering now that in the beginning, right before worship, I heard these lines that uh, you're the holy one and I'm the devoted one. And I realize now that that's what he was wanting us to say. You're the holy one, Papa. You are the holy one. You are the holy one. And I today am a dev the, dev the devoted one. And so let's just all stand up today. Let's just all stand up as we make this vow. A vow of obedience. And so, Papa, we just lift our hands first and we say, you are the Holy One. You are the Holy One. And I am the devoted one. I personally choose today to submit my will, to submit my mind, to submit everything in my heart, to be obedient to you. I take a new vow today of obedience and I cling tightly to the grace that you have so mercifully provided. And I say today that I will never again think of the word obedience without thinking of the word grace. So, Papa, we just thank you. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you move on the heart of every person taking this vow today and that you seal up this word, you seal up that vow with your presence, with your delight, with your dance over them like we sing about in worship, that you would just enrich their personal experience of encounter with you and let them know it's directly tied to this vow that they've taken today. And Papa, we say today that we can see that this was your original desire. It was your original heartfelt desire to have an obedient people because we could be with you then. Disobedience separates us from you. And we want to be with you. And you want us to be with you. And so we take our return to our original design and we match it up with your original desire our original design with your original desire. 
And we say yes, yes, yes to you. So I thank you, Holy Spirit. I just ask that you would just continue to plant the seed deep in each person's heart and mind and in their spirit, and that their spirit would just jump within them every chance that they have to obey. I just ask that if their spirit would just jump up with delight and excitement in a whole new way. And we just cancel every word that has ever come against obedience right now in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Jesus, for the price that you paid to make this possible. We thank you, Jesus, that you went down to hell and you stripped Lucifer of all of those jewels. You didn't just take the keys from him, but you stripped away all that he had received from heaven and that you gave us the keys in return. And it is you are in the process of returning all of your wealth, all of those original jewels to us now. And so we will worship you in spirit and truth and we will be obedient to what you've called us to do because it is our great joy to do so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.